You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right. Guys, guess what? Last sermon. Last sermon in the Ephesians series. It has been 22 weeks. 22 weeks through the book of Ephesians. I was sharing with the pastor the other day that we had just spent 22 weeks in Ephesians. He said, there's only six chapters. (laughs) How'd you do that? (laughs) So we spent a lot of time in chapter four. (laughs) We did, didn't we? Man, this has been a great series. To be honest, as it's coming to an end, there's a part of me that wants to just do it all over again. I really do. And I think, honestly, if I did, it'd be beneficial. So I'm announcing next week. No, I'm just kidding. There really is, though. Uh, It's a beautiful book. As I think about the Bible, if I uh, was in a place in the world where I could only have part of it, I probably would just, I'd probably choose the book of Ephesians. I really would. I believe it can change the world. I can believe it can change our heart. I think there's something deep, incredibly deep, that the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, has been showing us and teaching us throughout this series. A deep, it's given us a deeper sense of of spirituality, a deeper sense of our new reality, that there's more going on than meets the eye. That this Jesus and the cross and the resurrection sincerely does change everything. And I shared this at the the top of the series, uh, at the very beginning, it changes everything. And now we conclude, and Paul takes one more kick at the can. He, he wants to hit at home some ideas for us. He wants once again for the blinds to be open, for our eyes to see that everything is deeply spiritual. Everything, everything is connected to this person of Jesus. Everything, everything is all about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. If I could summarize in a, a sentence What I think Paul is reminding us of today is that everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. In fact, it's more spiritual than we probably ever realized or imagined. Everything in life, what we believe, how we live, the world around us is deeply spiritual. You know, oftentimes I'll be sitting in a coffee shop and uh, I think they're divine appointments at times. Where I'll be sitting at Black Sugar, I'll be sitting at Caffey or JJ Bean or Grit or just one of these coffee shops around the, around the city. And I'll have one of the regulars there who have gotten to know me, know that I'm a pastor, things like that. They'll walk up to me and they love sharing their hot take on whatever's happening in the world. And then they want to hear the Christian perspective on it, right? They kind of want to hear, oh, you're a pastor. And I think sometimes they think I'm a pastor, which means they they think I'm just going to eat it up by the spoonful, right? Uh, And uh, they'll be sharing about all sorts of things. I won't even name specifics because it'll offend some of you. Um, But they'll start, you know, going on. I think it's like this and the government's doing this. And, you know, they're they're going into this really deep dive uh, of what some might call conspiracy theories on either side. And then they look at me and they say, so what do you think? And I go, you know what? I think it's crazier than that. I think it's, I think it's way, it's, it's darker than that. They're like leaning in. They're like, oh, right, they're so excited. I'm like, I, I believe it's, I actually think that there are like forces of darkness and evil and demons and the devil and he's behind all of that. And they normally kind of like sit back and they're like, 
Now they're all of a sudden like, you're the crazy one, right? Like, it's like <laughs> Seriously, though. And then usually at some point, and this literally happened to me on Friday. So I'm not even exaggerating. I was sitting down with a friend, local guy who's a dentist, and we were talking. And, um, and I said that to him. I said, I actually think it's way more dark than that. I think there's actually far more sinister things happening behind the scenes in the unseen worlds that we can't even see that's behind that thing you're talking about. And then I usually, in the conversation near the tail, I'll say, hey, but get this. So the reason I'm not anxious, the reason I'm not freaking out, the reason I'm not worried is because I know the end of the story. I know that Jesus wins. I know that our God will come through. I know he will restore and make all things right. And, and I'll say that, and you can just sense in that moment, even though some of them are still kind of like, they're, they're unsure, they're blown away by a person, and maybe you've had a conversation like that, who has just complete confidence, complete confidence that isn't anxious, that is a non-anxious presence. And I don't even take credit for that. It's just because I know the end of the story, and I, and I believe it with all my heart. This is what Paul is doing for us today. He's telling us that behind the curtain, there is more that is going on that meets, than meets the eye. That meets the eye. And you see in his final word to us, it's one of warning. If we're to live out the words of this series, if we're to live out the words of this book, we will face opposition from not just the world around us, not just politics, not just governments, neighbors, friends, but also from spiritual and unseen forces. And before you walk out and you go, oh gosh, you believe in that kind of stuff? Let's hear Paul out. Let's hear what he has to say for us today. His final word in the book of Ephesians. Here's what he says. And if you're willing and able, we please stand in honor of God's word. Most important words we're going to hear, a final word from Paul. He says this, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, no. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. God, I pray today as we hear these words that, Lord, you would help us as a people to stand firm, to not give up ground that you have taken in this world, to not give up ground that you've taken in our hearts and our lives throughout this season of walking through this book. So I pray today, Holy Spirit, you would be speaking to us. I pray you'd be encouraging us. And Lord, most of all, God, you would help us to see things the way that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I started our time with this idea that everything is spiritual. And Paul, in these opening words, or the, sorry, these ending words of the book of Ephesians, is reminding us of that fact that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against our neighbor. It's not against the other side. It's not against a certain political party. It's not against 
fill in the blank. It says your battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's actually against unseen forces of darkness. Paul started this book in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 where he says this, and we can put it on the screen. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And now he's ending his book and saying, listen, all of our spiritual blessings come from the heavenly realms, but it's also in these unseen realms that we will face opposition as well, that we'll face opposition as well. He started the book this way and he's ending the book this way because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but evil rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Now hear me out. Hear me out. Don't leave just yet. Some of you say, listen, that's too far. (laughs) Surely we don't believe in such things. Surely we don't believe we're fighting against organizations and powers that are spiritual Surely we don't believe that we're up against unseen powers that control the dark world, right? That's the stuff of movies, spiritual agents from the headquarters of evil. Come on. Well, I do. I do, and it makes sense. First, I'll speak to personally, and then I'll speak to, I think, just globally, the ways that we can see that this is true. And if you're a skeptic, that's okay. If you don't believe in God, that's okay. But I think you'll see it. Growing up, uh, when I was 13, we moved into a house a house on Anscar Street. And I'm telling you, within that space and that place, I don't believe in ghosts, but I do believe in demons. And that place we experienced as a family, very strange phenomenon, very strange experiences, lights going on and off. I I don't even want to go into some of the stories. You wouldn't believe me. It all culminated one night. I was, uh, we were cleaning up after my rabbits. My mom said, man, I wish that the light in here would be brighter. And the light got so bright that the, the light bulb actually exploded. Crazy experience. Remember growing up, not Christian, we'd play with things like Ouija boards and things like that. And had very strange experiences. But more than that, I think if we think of the state of our world, do you really believe that human trafficking, the grip of pornography, gangs, is just the work of human beings? Do you really believe that that the power wielded by dictators, the chokehold of consumerism, the materialism we experience in our world, do you think that's just the work of human beings, the incredible atrocities and evils that took place as people were deceived that what they were doing good. Do you think that deception is purely just the work of human beings? I don't think we can be that naive to believe that wars and terrorism and temptation and the incredible hatred that we at times as human beings have for each other is simply and solely the result of human wickedness. It is far more sinister than that, isn't it? There's an evil one. His sole mission is to kill, steal, and destroy your life, the scripture tells us. And if we would just follow him in his ways, perhaps he could lead as many as he could away from God. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. But we so quickly slip into the modern worldview of naturalism. Naturalism stating that all there is is what we can see and touch and smell and test. 
The scientific method is the only thing that can reveal that which is known, that which is experienced, that which is true. We've, we've all descended into this, this worldview at times. Even the most devout of believers among us at times will hold a naturalistic lens or a naturalistic worldview. But the Christian worldview is different. In the Christian worldview, you have yourself, the self-consciousness. You have the physical world that is around you, that which you can taste and test and, uh, sorry, test and smell. But there is also God. And there is also the heavenly realms. And within the heavenly realms, there are spiritual beings, some that are for us and some that are against us. But we have been blinded to this reality. Some ask, Ah, if there's such thing as demons and devils and all this kind of stuff, why don't I experience it in my life? I believe that the way in which our enemy shows up in the West is very different than how he does in the East. In the East, it is a power struggle. It's a power struggle between gods, whose God is more powerful. In the West, because of our naturalistic worldview, he would rather just creep into the background in more subtle and and and. In quieter ways. If you're looking for a description of what that looks like or how that plays out, just read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. Profound insight into the way in which the enemy works in our day and our time. But I think that we've become blind. We've become blind to these spiritual things. But I do think our culture is having a little bit of a spiritual awakening. But our eyes are beginning to look to other things and other places as the source of spirituality. We're being deceived. Richard Lovelace puts it this way. He says, Much of the church's warfare today is fought by blindfolded soldiers who cannot see the forces uh, raged against them, who are buffeted by invisible opponents and respond by striking one another. Striking one another rather than our enemy. This text is calling us to take off the blindfold church. It's attempting to lift the veil from our eyes. It is to remove the cataracts which is blinding our eyes to see. He wants us to give us new lenses. Have any of you experienced this before? Uh, those of you who wear glasses or contacts, those kind of things, you put on that new prescription. And especially, it's especially that first time. That first time where you put on glasses and suddenly you're looking around the world and you're like, really? It looks like that? Trees look like that? Leaves look like that? Oh my goodness, the mountains, right? They're just, and you're just amazed. I remember I was 13 years old watching the hockey game and I couldn't read the score. And I asked my dad, what's going on? I remember putting on glasses like, hockey is like this, right? <laughs> oh, and I've never, never turned back. Anyone watch the game last night? Good game, right? God, God wants to give us, God wants to give us some new lenses. The Apostle Paul is trying to give us some new lenses to see, that we can see with definition the unseen things that are going on around us. This is what Paul is doing for us. Church, take off your blindfold, put on the glasses. John Stott puts it this way. Here's what Paul's doing for us. Paul brings us down to earth to realities harsher than our dreams. He reminds us of the opposition. Beneath the surface, appearances and uh, there's appearances an unseen battle is raging. He introduces us again to the devil and the certain principalities and powers at the devil's command. 
John is, is saying, and Paul acknowledges, this reality of evil, an active force that seeks to motivate his readers, seeks to motivate the world to turn away from God. Maybe you're experiencing this in your life. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us if this is true? I was thinking about, there's this famous speech. Back in the day, they used to do a devotional at the Senate in the USA. Only in USA, right? Uh, but they used to do a devotional. And there was a guy named Richard Halverson on the floor of the Senate. As he's sharing these words. He says this, No adequate understanding of history can be had without taking into account that behind and around and through history, a personal, diabolical, satanic, spiritual force is benting on destroying all that is good and its author, Jesus. In fact, none of us, none of us will understand ourselves and our troubles until we recognize that evil is more than a mere absence of good. That evil is dynamic and personal, working to possess our mind and heart, to coerce us, to reject God's love, and rule in our life. All of these quotes, all of these authors, all of these people are speaking into a reality and they're trying to help us today to see clearly what is going on, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood, but it is against unseen forces of evil that desire to kill, steal, and destroy. And so the question for us is this, what does this mean? If this is true, what does this mean? I have a few thoughts. The first is maybe we should stop fighting one another. Maybe we should stop combating one another. I wonder whether we should stop othering each other, labeling, making up our mind about, Wonder whether we can look across the aisle to the, the opposition party, whatever one you didn't vote for. Rather than seeing enemies, you can see human beings that, like you, have faced temptation, like you, have faced opposition, like you, are in this world and being consumed by and deceived by an enemy. Paul is reminding the church, listen, our battle is not against flesh and blood. This was so relevant to the people in Ephesus. In Ephesus, there would have been Jews and there would have been Gentiles. There would have been people who worshipped Artemis. There would have been people who worshipped other deities. And he's reminding them, listen, we used to fight against one another. But your battle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle is against the unseen forces. Do not fight each other. But, but Take arms with one another. Stand firm together. Friends, I want us to stop fighting one another. I think if we realize this, we'll stop being so angry with the people on the other side. Perhaps we wouldn't personalize it so much. Perhaps we'd recognize that this isn't a war between two equal parties. Perhaps we could realize this can't just be won on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or at Easter dinner. We'll begin to realize that just waving signs in protest 
can't actually win this war. There's something deeper. There's something more sinister. There's something more evil behind these things. Perhaps we would not villainize our leaders. Read read Romans 13. It'll challenge you. All leaders have been placed. All leaders have been given authority by God and placed in their place for a time. I was struggling through that one a little bit. When we realize and remember who our real enemy is, that it's not the person sitting next to you, this changes how we do conflict. If husbands and wives, those of you who maybe are in a season of struggle right now, realize that your husband, that your wife, that your spouse is not your enemy, that you actually have a common enemy who wants to destroy your marriage and destroy your life, instead of fighting each other, you would turn together, you would link arms, and and in prayer say, listen, God, would you help us? God, would you change us? God, would you help me to love my spouse? God, would you help me to forgive my spouse? God, we pray against the enemy in our life who wants to destroy this thing. Perhaps for Christian Canadians, if we remembered we had a common enemy, we'd stop fighting each other and the other side. NDP wouldn't be fighting with conservative and liberals with PPC and the Greens with everyone, right? And so we could have a different perspective. And friends, we realize in the midst of this challenge, maybe in your friendships, you're struggling with lack of forgiveness. Maybe in your friendships, there's some division. If you realized, oh, wait, we've got a common enemy. Maybe you could band together. I think if people knew who the real enemy was, they would have compassion for those who were lost. They would have compassion for people who are wrong. They'd have compassion for even deceptive people. They would suddenly, they they would in compassion say, oh man, they've been deceived. Oh, they're experiencing the same level of opposition that I am. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything is spiritual. So here's what this means. Our battle is a spiritual one. Our battle is a spiritual one. The way in which we fight is spiritually. It's not with the things of old. <laughs> it's not, you know, with, 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 with guns and bombs and words. We fight differently because our battle is spiritual. I have a few qualifications, though. The first is this. These forces of evil are not our only enemy. We also, as people, have to fight against sin and, and ourselves uh, and, and the, this world that is, is trying to consume us. It's not our only enemy, okay? So don't mishear me. Oh, only, it's only the devil, right? Everything is the devil. It's like, no, no, no. And secondly, I think this is important to point Personal responsibility, personal responsibility, this doesn't change our personal responsibility. We're still personally responsible for our actions. Give an example in the garden, Adam and Eve were deceived. You all know this story, it's an ancient one. The serpent came, deceived them, said they could be like God if they ate of this fruit. They had to choose to eat the fruit. They were deceived, but they chose to do so. They chose to do so. So this doesn't remove personal responsibility, especially those of us who are in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit, a louder voice than our enemies. So when we sin or when we deceive or when we do something that's wrong, we are still personally responsible. And the last thing I want to say is this, is that sometimes when we start to talk about the evil one, we can kind of set it up as two equal parties that are fighting one another. 
This is not an equal battle. The, the battle's won. The, the enemy is not God's equal. Is not God's equal. In fact, he is, we, he, he, is, he is no match for God. We know this because Jesus Christ. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, the enemy came to him and tried to deceive him on multiple layers. And to each one of them, Jesus, he's the only person who's ever done so, stood against the enemy, did not fall to the temptation, and instead honored God. C.S. Lewis uh, helps us with this equality issue. I think many of us think there's like God and there's like the devil and there's these two equal, they're almost like two equal gods who are fighting. People would often ask C.S. Lewis, do you believe in the devil? And he says, no, well, if by the devil you mean a power opposite to God and like God, self-existent from all of eternity, the answer is certainly no. There is no uncreated being except God. God has no opposite the proper question is whether I believe in devils. I do. That is to say, I believe in angels. And I believe that some of these, by the abuse of their free will, have become enemies of God. Satan, the leader or dictator of the devils, is the opposite. Not of God, but of Michael. He, he gives us a, a new way of thinking about it. This isn't, a power, this isn't a power struggle against equals. He's a defeated foe that's trying to take as many with him as he can on his way down. So friends, how do we fight? If we fight spiritually, how do we fight? Like I said, it's not with bombs and guns and swords and assassins. No. If this is true, we fight differently. We fight spiritually because everything is spiritual and our enemy is spiritual. Walter Wink, New Testament scholar, he reminds us how the disciples of Jesus living in the Roman Empire dealt with injustice and, immora and immorality of their day. He said, unlike us, they had no access to political power and they had no financial resources in which to fight injustice in the world. So what did they do? It says, although they didn't have access to these things, it seems to have done little. It seems to have done little to prevent the church from impacting the Roman Empire with devastating force. When the Roman magistrates ordered the early Christians to worship the imperial spirit, they refused, instead kneeling and offering prayers on the emperor's behalf to God. Can you imagine that? This is how they fought their battles. When the Roman mag magistrates said, hey, you're entering the market, you must declare that Caesar is Lord. They say, no, we're not going to do that. And they would get on their knees and they would pray for the emperor. They say, we won't declare he's Lord, but man, we'll pray for him. Can you imagine the sight that would have been in that day and that time? Such radical devotion to the Lord that they would not bow down. They would pray. They did not fight their battles with signs. They did not fight their battles with swords. They did not fight their battles with weapons against flesh. They instead decided to fight with prayer. With prayer. He continues, he says, this seemingly innocuous act was far more exasperating and revolutionary than an outright rebellion would have been. Rebellion simply acknowledges the absolute and ultimate nature of the emperor's power and attempts to seize it. But prayer denies that ultimacy altogether by acknowledging a higher power. 
Rebellion focused solely on the physical institution or its current incumbents and attempts to displace them by an act of superior force. Prayer, on the other hand, challenges the very spirituality of the emperor itself. It calls the emperor's angel, as it were, before the judgment seat of God. We as the people of God do not fight with fists. We as the people of God do not fight on Twitter. We as the people of God do not use weapons. We fight with prayer. We fight with the word of God. It is totally different. Our battle is spiritual. And Paul is trying to remind us of this. We fight with prayer and the word of God. He begins to go into the armor of God. Five pieces are defensive, but two pieces are offensive. The offensive weapons are this, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And prayer, and prayer. In the spirit. Look what he says in verse 13. Friends, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from God, that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And when we read this, what we often think to ourselves is, for those of us who like grew up in the 90s or early 2000s, we think of like veggie tales, right? Put on the whole armor of God, right? A cucumber dressed up in Roman armor, right? It's like, it's not a very like, so for some of us, I think when we hear this, we think of like kids church or, or we think of like when we went to Camp Quanos or Timberline Ranch, right? And we think of the silly songs we used to sing. For Paul, the reason he uses this illustration is not just so children could relate. <laughs> it's accessible for children. It's fun. They make their shields. They, do, they might be doing it in kids' church right now. I'm not sure. But <laughs> Paul uses this illustration so that because while he is writing this, he is imprisoned in Rome. And outside of his prison doors is standing a Roman guard. And the person who leads him and guides him and everywhere he went in his time of imprisonment was a Roman soldier who was strong. <laughs> Don't think of veggie tales. Think of like 300, right? 300, but like with a little bit more armor and clothes on, right? So <laughs> this is the illustration he is using because to him, the person bringing him food, the person escorting him to court we're, we're, we're Roman soldiers dressed from head to toe in armor. And he says, guys, as you look at the Roman Empire, as you look at their incredible strong force, their incredible armies, he says, you'll be dressed like them, but you'll be dressed differently. You'll be dressed spiritually from head to toe in the things of God. This is what will help you fight your battles. This is what will help you fight your battles. And so here's what he's calling us to do. 
two things in conclusion. First, to stand firm. And secondly, to put on Jesus' armor, to put on God's armor fully from head to toe. Throughout this book, you'll notice he's been calling us to walk differently. It says, therefore, I, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. Then later on, he says, this isn't the way we walk. We walk differently. And then he says, don't walk as people of darkness, but walk as children of light. And he's been talking all about our walk. Don't walk as the unwise, but the wise. He's been talking about our walk. And now finally in chapter 6, what does he do? He says, listen, you've been doing a lot of walking. Stand firm. Take your stance. Put on your armor, head to toe. Take a stance. In fact, he says this idea of standing firm four times in just three verses in this text. Look at this, verse 11. He says, put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist. The NLT has just changed up the language here. But in the original, it's the same word, stand firm. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. And finally, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. He's calling us as the people of God. He's calling us at the conclusion of this letter to be a people that stand firm. The implications is this. Jesus Christ has already won. We are to hold ground. We are to hold the ground that he has already won. I think of the, the text where it says that, that uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus, uh, it, it says that he will build his church and the gates of hell, gates are defensive, by the way, they're not offensive. The gates of hell will not stand against it. We, as the people of God, are pushing back the gates. Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, are pushing back the gates of the, Lord, of the enemy's territory. Further and further, we as we expand the kingdom of God into the city of Port Moody are walking in a manner worthy of the call in which we called. And as we do so, we're pushing back the gates. And so what this text is calling us to do is this, friends. Would you stand firm? Don't give the enemy an inch. Don't back up. Some of you in this series, God has done incredible things. I've heard testimony of it. Some of you were identifying yourselves as sinners and you're, you're, I'm just a sinner, I'm broken, I'm disgusting, I'm shameful for the things I've done. And then you began to read the early chapters of Ephesians and you realized, I'm a saint, I'm forgiven, I'm made new, I'm chosen. Yes, come on, let's go, Elena, let's go. And, and you began to believe these things. Don't for one minute be deceived again about that reality, that reality of who you were. It's no longer who you are. Some of you in this series have start, started to fight for unity in your community. Some of you in this series have decided to take down the walls of prejudice and racism against your brother or sister who sits in this room because you said, in Jesus Christ, we've been made one. Some of you in this series have began to walk differently. You stopped lying. You stopped being bitter. You stopped holding grudges. You, you, you started to tell the truth. You started to be generous. You started to change the way that you thought and you lived. You allowed the spirit to transform you. Stand firm. Stand firm. Don't give up any ground. Some of you in this series, you began to change the way you're doing relationships. It was profound. It was profound. 
Some of you, a few weeks ago, you heard the, the text on husbands and wives, and for the first time, instead of trying to dominate your spouse, you decided to serve them. And some of you were being harsh with your children, and you decided to love them. Some of you, 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 you're changing your mentality. And Paul is concluding this letter, and he's saying, friends, stand firm. Don't give up any ground to the opposition. Hold your ground. Hold the ground that Jesus has won on your behalf. Don't give it up. Don't give it up. And then he concludes and tells us, friends, friends, put on the armor of God. Would you stand firm? Would you put on the armor so that you can stand firm? Because in our own strength, in our own humanity, oh man, we have no chance. We have no chance. But in Jesus Christ, by his power and his might, as the opening sentence of this text said, we can stand firm against an enemy who will do anything he can to take any one of us with him. John Stott said this, is God's plan to create a new society? He said, then they, our enemy, will do their utmost to destroy it. John Stott says, has God through Jesus Christ broken down the walls dividing human beings of different races and cultures from each other? Then the devil through his emissaries will strive to rebuild those walls. He says, does God intend his reconciled and redeemed people to live together in harmony and purity? Then the powers of hell will scatter among them seeds of discord and sin. Friends, stand firm in Jesus Christ, in his mighty power. Don't allow the work that God has done in your life to be reduced. And he ends with this idea, put on Jesus. Put on the full armor of God, this Greek word, panoplia. In order to stand firm, we must put on the full, the, it, this, this word means the full and complete armor of God. You see, some of you, you're just wearing the belt of truth. Some of you, you're just living in right relationship with God. Some of you are just peacemakers. Some of you are just wearing the helmet of salvation. I know I'm saved. Some of you are just holding up the shield of faith. Maybe you have one or two pieces on. Maybe some of you, you're head to toe. But I think for most of us, the call of this text is that we would put on Jesus, the person of Jesus, the, the principles of Jesus, these qualities of Jesus. We need to put on Jesus is what this text is calling us and the qualities that mark our lives should look like him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the righteousness of God. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is the Word become flesh. Jesus not only prayed to the Spirit and in the Spirit, but he was one with the Spirit. Paul calls us once again, this whole series, the thematic idea that went from beginning to end is this, friends, we are in Christ and he's calling us again, in a sense, to be in Christ, to be hidden in Christ, to be hidden by the qualities of Christ, to pick up all of the qualities of Christ in order that we could stand firm against the evil one. Let me conclude with this thought. Could you imagine if that happened? I'll jump back to this quote from Daryl Johnson where he says, if disciples of Jesus 
would just soak in Ephesians, working out its vision in the concrete realities of our 24-7 existence, the world would be transformed. Friends, if we just embodied this book, if we just lived this book, if we just lived it out in our day-to-day life, Port Moody would be transformed. Coquitlam would be transformed. The Tri-Cities would be transformed. New Westminster and Burnaby and the surrounding cities would be transformed. If disciples of Jesus were just to live this, live this, our world would be transformed. And it's being transformed. We can see the way in which the kingdom of God is expanding. But there are areas in which the enemy is pushing back that we need to walk once again and stand firm. Oh, if we could just live this out, it would change your family, I promise you. If we could just live this out, it would change your workplace. If we could just live this out, it would change our world. If we would just follow the one who lived this out, it would change absolutely everything. And so now we come to the communion moment. I invite the communion servers up. And as we come to the table today, yes, receive mercy, receive grace. But as we come to the table today, as we take that bread and we take that juice, would it also be a symbolic, a symbolic gesture to say, Jesus, I've identified myself with you. Jesus, I want to live like you. Jesus, I receive your forgiveness, but I also receive your spirit. God, would you use me to change the world? Would you use me to change Port Moody? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this incredible book. Thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul. Lord God, would you help us to be a people who stand firm? Would you help us to be a people who look like, act like, and walk like you? Jesus, would you help us to embody the words of this book? Because God, if we could do so, I believe our world could be transformed There are marriages in this room that will be saved. There are friendships in this room that can be reconciled. There are wars that can be ended. The divide within our community, those walls that are being built up can be broken down. And so Jesus, as we come to the table, we receive your mercy and we receive your grace in our time of need. But for us, it's also our marching orders. It's also a declaration that Jesus, I identify with you and I want to be a Jesus person in this world. Help us this, this Sunday to see how the cross and the resurrection and the person of Jesus Christ changes everything. Help us to believe it, God, and help us to live it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.